Well, that was the most important part, wasn't it? <laughs> to welcome him into this place. Uh, because when he is here, all kinds of rich things happen. And we've had a great morning of worship. I got some, a chance to be able to uh, have a conversation. Actually, it was mostly one way, I must say, with uh, uh, our youth leadership team. There's a fine group of men and women over in the student center right now just trying to figure out how to lead in an authentic authentic way. And I hear things about our young people, actually from some of you, uh, that just lead me to be so grateful for what God is doing. Uh, We just have this sense that God is in this place and we are asking God to show himself, uh, show his presence in uh, all sorts of ways. So... Let's ask him uh, that he would guide our time together as we look into his word this morning. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that um, you are present and that you are here with us. And God, I pray that you would use the time that we spend in Mark 7 this morning uh, to speak into our lives in ways that are significant and applicable, that we actually might go out of here and worship you all week long. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to Mark 7, I just wanted to um, let you know um, who I am. I uh, am on the list of people invited to receive a luxury card. That's who I am. I'm I'm apparently a big deal. Uh, I receive this in the mail, and it's called Life Without Limits, and I am invited. Yes, my name was on the packaging for it. And the invitation goes like this, basically. I have three options in terms of a luxury card. I can choose titanium, I can choose black, and I can choose gold. And I want to just tell you a little bit about the gold card, because I didn't choose the gold card. But the gold card actually is a 24-karat gold-plated carbon card, and the design is patented, actually. And I can, I can purchase this card for $1,000 a year. Well, actually, a little cheaper than that, $995 a year. And then if I want it, I actually get to pay like 16% interest on my purchases. You know, it's just like really the coolest thing. But I, but I, will, have, I will have the gold card. Or, or there's the black card. It's a step down from that. Uh, same interest rate on it. It's uh, just under $500. Oh, I thought maybe that was my cell phone going off it is myself. <laughs> the prodigal is playing right now. <laughs> I think we should probably turn that one off, don't you? Okay. But I just don't know how. That is not, that is not my ringtone. And you say, this guy doesn't deserve any gold card platinum card or whatever, but I do not know what to do. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Every time I come up here, I make sure the ringtone's uh, shut down, but apparently um, iTunes has got another idea for me that I haven't figured out yet. This is not going well here. So then there's a titanium uh, card that's available to me. But here's the deal. I, I, I'm not going to get one of those cards. Uh, I don't have that kind of money to throw around. So I just decided that I would, I'm working on my own black card. It's my Visa card, and uh, I've just put black highlighter all over it, actually. 
so it's not quite there yet. You can see the green through the numbers yet, but I'm getting close to having a black card, actually. And the benefit of this is I can just whip it out, and people know I've got the black card. I'm kind of a big deal. You know, and, I, and if I actually had the real thing, and this might work, I can bump in front of people in the TSA pre-check line. Uh, I can just kind of, if someone's giving me a hard time and I need a table at a particular restaurant, my guess is I'll just pull this thing out and say, black cart, excuse me, can I make my way through here? Problem with this one is it's just a pretend black card. Underneath it, it actually isn't a black card. Uh, it's just a regular credit card, um, which is a little bit uh, similar to what Jesus is warning his disciples against in Mark chapter 7. You can look one way, um, but is it really true of who you are uh, authentically underneath? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning in regards to our faith and whether there's an authenticity to it that is real or whether there's a finish to it uh, that is disappointing uh, to us and um, to others around us and to God as well. This is an interesting story in Mark chapter 7. In the middle of it, uh, there's this healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Uh, and um, she is, doesn't have a black card. Uh, she is not a big deal. In fact, she would be considered in every Jewish religious circle to be absolutely unclean and not to be touched. Uh, and yet Jesus finds uh, himself in her presence and asks a question that if you've been studying, you says, is where, where in the world did that question come from and, and why did he say those things? But before we get to the place where the Syrophoenician woman asks Jesus if he would be merciful enough, even though he considers her a dog, to give her strap, scraps of bread and heal her daughter. Before that happens, it's set up um, by a, a, a group of religious people who are talking about faith in a way that's pretty typical for um, so many people in the world. Faith is about um, what you do well, and you better do it well. So bracketing this story, on the end of chapter 7, and look with uh, me in your text, actually, if you would see it. At the end of chapter 7, it says this, Jesus commanded them, the people he had healed and touched and transformed, not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. That's the end of chapter 7. He has done everything well. The beginning of chapter 7 is a group of religious people saying to anybody who will listen, you better do everything well. Do you see? There are two options here for faith. And the one is achievement faith. You better do everything well. And the other one is acknowledgement faith. He has done everything well. And the difference between those two is a difference between worlds of understanding and completely different perspectives and realities of faith. So let's look at that and see um, how it's described here. We look at how this chapter begins and the disciples are failing to measure up to the standards that were 
almost universally understood in that Jewish culture to be the way things ought to be, to be vital, to be considered clean. Now, to be clean wasn't the kind of the sign at the door of the restroom, our employees wash their hands before they go back to work. It's not that kind of cleanliness. It's a godliness. If I'm going to be a person surrendered to God and, um, and used by him, and able to worship him, I've got to be uh, characterized by a cleanliness in a, in a, in a spiritual way. And uh, there were rules that were set up in the, in the sayings, in the Jewish sayings that were, began to be categorized just a, uh, a century and a half, two centuries after this. But everybody knew what they were. They were these sayings about this is what one ought to do. And you see it in verse 3, actually. They talk about the Pharisees and the Jews, they do not, and there's a list of what they do not do, and then they hold to, it says, the traditions. And then when you get to verse 4, it says again what they do not do. Uh, they do not eat unless they wash. And then in the middle of verse 4, and what they do or what they observe. You see, this is a, this is what you must do kind of a faith. You must do everything well. And then they go to Jesus and they ask him this question. What's the deal here? Your, your disciples, they don't embrace a life lived according to the commands. You see, an achievement-based faith is a live according to faith. A live according to faith. And you might say that all of these rituals and observances they have might seem uh, foolish or or harmless. I mean, who cares about pots and pans in our culture? Uh, and you just kind of look at this and say, this is crazy. I would, never, I would never be so concerned about my religious faith having anything to do with whether the dishes were clean at home. But when you look at our culture and you ask people you hang out with, and I would just encourage you to do this this week, go up and ask 10 people. Say, pastor gave me an assignment and I'm just... I, I, I'm just he, he told me I should um, find out what you think of this. What do you think it takes to be acceptable to God? What do you think it takes to be commended and loved by him? And almost universally, you will hear what is a nearly universal answer. If I do things well, I'm going to be fine. You see, this isn't just a two centuries old, uh, two millennia old perspective. This is right here and right now. Faith all too often is a make sure you do everything well. And my, I am convinced of this, that some of us believe it too. That you and I are actually walking around thinking we believe a he does everything well faith and living like our faith is really, I better do everything well. So let's look at what we see here in the text. And I want to just walk through the conversation. And then there are five questions I would encourage you to ask that hopefully will help you with it. In verse 5, the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God, and you're holding on to human traditions. And he continued, if you, if you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God 
in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, on your father and mother, anyone who curses their father or their mother will be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that means it's a word that means devoted to God. Everything that I have that I might be able to offer to my mom and dad, I've decided instead to be really holy and devoted to God. Sorry, mom and dad. It's no longer available to you. That, that was kind of the thing. And Jesus was pointing that out to them. And he says, then you, no longer let them do any, then you no longer let them do, those people, anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God about your traditions that you have handed down. And you do many other things like that. That Corbin Thiel was just kind of a sophisticated way to make sure that you could hang on to the stuff you had, not care about the people on the margins, and call yourself pious while you were doing it. That's what Jesus was pointing out here. Verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside you can defile you by going into you. Rather, it's what comes out of you that defiles you. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters you from the outside can defile you? For it doesn't go into your heart, but into your stomach and then out of your body. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of you is what defiles you. For from within, out of your hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside you, and they defile you. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as he heard, she heard about it, a woman who with a little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus said, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? We're going to get to that in a little bit. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home, found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was God. So what Jesus is drawing our attention to, and what Mark is drawing our attention to, is this difference between a faith that is an achievement faith and a faith that is an acknowledgement faith. One that says, I must do everything well, and the other one that says, he has done everything well. And how do I make sure I'm doing that, I have that faith, he has done everything well? Well, there are a couple of questions here that are centered around this whole question, what kind of a faith do I live by that I want to ask us to address? The first one is this, does my faith create comparisons or does it create companions? Does the faith I hold to create comparisons with people, in a sense, distance from them, or does it create companionship with them along the way? The comparisons is that anybody else in the room have a black card? Or, or whatever that means in your context or in our religious context. Does anybody have the, 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 the big deal stuff? Anybody here a big deal because of what they're doing um, religiously or, or in their devotion? Someone shared with me recently about a marriage relationship that they were in that had just blown up. And um, it had blown up in a way in which um, the wife w had been completely destroyed, um, but in such a way that nobody really saw it. 
And um, so she was devastated and alienated, really, from much of her Christian community. And there was somebody in her Christian community that she asked for help. You know, it's kind of like we can't talk to each other right now. Any interaction is destructive. When I need to bring something to him, would you pass it on? Can I just drop it off at your house? And when um, he needs to bring something to me, can you just, can we just leave it there? And I could pick it up. And uh, the uh, people that were part of that household said, you know what, um, we just are against everything that's happened here, and we're not going to have a thing to do with it. And this wife uh, looked at me and with tears in her eyes and said, uh, our families go so far back, way, 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 way back. And um, what just happened here? What happened here? This isn't a, t- a time to point fingers at anyone. This is to acknowledge a trait that can easily reside within us in regards to what faith is about. And if someone doesn't measure up, if someone seems like they've blown it, a faith is a faith that surrounds this whole question. Be sure or challenge, be sure you do everything well, is a faith that creates distance between us. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here right now, is, is you, just, you just create distance along the way. When we run out of grace, we've run out of the gospel. When we've run out of grace, we've run out of the gospel. When we put up boundaries for grace, we have stepped beyond the boundaries of grace. You see, there's one kind of a faith that is a faith that creates companions. All of us walking together towards, the, towards Jesus, who is the only one about whom we can say, he does everything well. He does everything well. You see, Jesus doesn't create those boundaries. He just runs roughshod over them. Where do we find him next? We find him in Tyre. We find him deep in unclean territory, according to the categories that were set up. We find him in the midst of the Gentiles. And the irony is, he went there to rest. How can you go to a place that is so dangerous to your faith to rest, and yet there he was, Why? Because the categories weren't the same for him. He was a person who was characterized by both truth and grace. And there are no boundaries in regards to having a sense of affinity with, companionship along the way with people who are trying to head towards Jesus who does everything well. It's so interesting, Jesus' response here isn't a response of his own hostility towards this woman asking this question, well, I just need to tell you. Uh, First, um, the children eat all that they want to, and we better make sure that the children get all that they want to. I'm exaggerating that, but hang on with me a little bit. And then he asks, is it right? Is it right to toss bread to the dogs? And we're saying, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? 
Well, someone has said actually that the word dog here is the term for puppies, and so it's actually endearing. But I just don't think that that, that measures up to the whole context of what's going on here. You know what I think Jesus is doing? I think Jesus is repeating the same thing that came out of the attitude of the Pharisees, and he's letting the disciples hear it again in this context context with someone who has been described as unclean. Because this is what the Pharisees would say. Yes, yes, yes. Stay away. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's for the people who are clean. Jesus isn't even using his own words here. He's using a parable of sorts. I mean, this isn't his teaching. This is the expression or the phrase that was used in the culture about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, clean and unclean. So he's letting the disciples hear the very thing that the Pharisees would have said is the way it ought to be and say, how does this feel here right now? By the way, isn't it interesting that the phrase says, make sure the children get enough to eat, when the chapter just before this, Jesus has fed 5,000 people, and what does it say about them? That they all have everything they need, and they're absolutely content. It seems like Jesus is very good at doing exactly that for everyone. And there's bread left over. In fact, if you look at this account, you'll see that it's bracketed by a, 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 a savior who gives bread, not doled out in terms of crumbs, but in terms of baskets left over. Do you see chapter 6? He feeds the 5,000, and there's plenty of food left over. Chapter 8, he feeds the 4,000, and there's plenty of food left over. So this is not about someone who's trying to be careful to make sure that first the kids get fed. This is about someone who wants to challenge the disciples with this question, does this ring right to you? That's what's going on right here in this text. Here's the question. Does my faith create comparisons or does it create companions? The second question is this. Is my faith distant or is it devoted? In verse 6, he talks about, he actually quotes Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 6, and he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. There's this distance that happens. If my faith is, uh, have you done enough for me, faith? Have you done everything well, faith? Then it's about me trying to manage my sin. Willard talks about this as the gospel of sin management. It's basically keeping up appearances. And he uses this term hypocrites, and the word really means actors at a play. In other words, they present themselves outwardly as if they are someone, a character in a play, and they really don't have to be that person on the inside. They just can look the part, and if they can look the part, everybody's entertained by them. If we look the part, we'll entertain the people around us. And they might like what they see, but there's nothing inside. You know, the word hypocrite in our culture is used as kind of as a derogatory slam. Um, it seems to me that when we understand it this way, it shouldn't feel, be filled with, um, with criticism, but with compassion. 
What a tragedy that your life is hypocrisy. Oh, don't you ache for people who have a faith that requires them to live it out in such a way that everybody is entertained and there's nothing authentic on the inside. God says he wants for us a he does everything well faith. And it's a faith that is on the outside and the inside through and through kind of a faith. That kind of a faith is what God longs for us. If it is about what I do rather than who I'm with, proximity doesn't matter because of what kind of faith is, distance isn't the issue. If my faith is a what do I do, it's really secondary in regards to how close to Jesus am I. But if it's a who am I with, Faith is actually being with Jesus. Proximity is everything. And I can be with him because he has done everything well. And my heart can be characterized by devotion and the joy that comes with it. And then the third question is this. Does my faith harm others or does it help them? An achievement-based faith is a faith where I have to focus on me. After all, that was the question, wasn't it? Have I done everything well? And Jesus um, goes after them, and he says, let me just give you one example. Verse 13 says, there are many examples. Let me, just give you, let me just give you one here. And he mentions the example that we talked about, about this um, uh, neglect. And it's more than just neglecting your parents. It's neglecting the people on the fringes of society. There was no social security system in those days. There were structures in which the people who no longer had the ability to work or care for others could be cared for. Um, and actually, religious people had constructed their faith in such a way that they got a free pass in regards to actually caring for people. So this is a legitimate question. Um, a, 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 what does my faith do? What does it create? How does it actually care for the people around me? An achievement-based faith, it is so hard for it to get there unless, until we start to keeping score. But an acknowledgement of Christ in me, and he has done everything well, and I'm taken care of, I can look at others. Um, there's something that is rich about that kind of faith, and it's different. I just read a book recently, and I won't quote from it this morning, by, by Ed Gilbreth. Uh, some of you may know Ed. He's uh, one of the staff in our denominational offices called the Birmingham Revolution. And he notes in there, he says, you know, it's just so interesting that as Christians, we know everything about sin and what it is. Um, but at the same time, Christians are one of those categories of places where some of these things that are most tragic in terms of racism and injustice still live. Why hasn't it made a difference, he says? Why, why hasn't it translated into a difference in a nation that is so characterized by Christian faith? Well, I think what we see here is because 
because we're so easily walking into an achievement-based faith, and it's the stuff I must achieve in order to get credit for God. And frankly, those people over there, uh, when they achieve something, they'll get something. And it, it can be destructive. And then, then the fourth question is, is, does my faith cleanse my heart? In verse 21 through 23, scholars have looked at that and said, this is the strongest list of sins that Jesus in all of the Gospels ever lays out. I mean, it's pretty profound, isn't it? You say, well, my deal doesn't matter, and then you look at this one. Jesus never said anything about, and then you look at this one. Boy, we're all on that list, aren't we? And Jesus says about this is that what needs to happen isn't that we need to go on a diet of eating food that somehow washes us, that we not um, try to um, avoid the sin stuff, um, or that we go either one way or the other. We either say it doesn't matter or we pretend it's not there. You know, those are the pathways we go when we look at this list. It really doesn't matter or it's, it's not in my life. How about one other option? And that is to say, Jesus, you are the one who does everything well. Would you, I beg you to cleanse me from the inside out? from the inside out. That stuff in there, I can't do anything to wash that away. And that's what Jesus is saying. All of this religious ritual stuff, they might be valuable in terms of disciplines or connections, but, but if they can't and they won't wash away the stuff on the inside, you will need me. Does my faith cleanse my heart? Or is it achievement-based faith rather than acknowledgement? You're the one I depend on. And then the last question is this. Is my faith dependent solely on him? And this is where the Syrophoenician woman actually says, okay, I don't care what anybody calls me. You just go ahead and call me a dog. But you're it. And uh, Keller talks about this relentless tenacity in this woman to go to Jesus, not because of anything she had, but merely because of what he had. And we have a tendency to be bold and strong because we think we've got the black card and will be heard. This woman goes to Jesus because he's got it all. And the character trait of a person who's a person of acknowledgement faith rather than achievement faith is the trait of a person who begs God, who pleads with God to do the things in my life, in our life, that cannot be done apart from him. When I was a kid, my dad could travel from somewhere near Minneapolis to somewhere near Roanoke, Virginia, without anybody else driving and never asking directions. He could just get there. We would just follow along because he was so good. My dad never asked for anything. And um, I wanted to grow up to be just like my dad. In fact, my sense was, if you ask for something, you are weak. But when it comes to a life that's characterized by relationship and companionship and closeness, I will need to plead with Jesus for that. 
when it comes for a life that is characterized by worship and a heart of devotion rather than hollow and empty, I will need to plead with Jesus for that. When it comes to a life that is characterized by impact and transformation of the people and things and relationships around me, I will need to plead with Jesus for that. When it comes to a life characterized by deep purity, I will need to plead with Jesus for that. The prime character trait of a faith that is the kind Jesus invites us into is a faith of constant pleading. And if I refuse to ask for those things, I will not be a person of faith. So here's my encouragement to us as we go from here. To acknowledge over and over again, Lord, you are the one and you have done everything well. And then find yourself repeated regularly, relentlessly in his presence, pleading with him for the things that all of us most need. And the world will know that Jesus is God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and that you are God that doesn't disperse your grace to us crumb by crumb, but basketful by basketful. And God, we want to be those who nod our heads, raise our hands, open our hearts, and say the same thing these people said at the end of Mark chapter 7. He, you, you have done everything well. You have done everything well. And we want to be those that find ourselves in your presence pleading often for your power. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.